Well, today marks the official launch of our new series. <clears throat> We're going to be in the book of Psalms uh, until the fall. I, I will provide the overview for this series next week, but what's interesting is I decided that we are going to spend Good Friday and Easter in Psalm 22. So you can turn in your Bibles to Psalm 22. Wait a minute, that's the Old Testament. We can't go to the Old Testament for Easter, can we? Well, that's what's so amazing about the Psalms is there's plenty of verses in the Psalms that actually got us ready for Good Friday and for Easter. So we started uh, the Good Friday in Psalm 22, and then we're going to go through the rest of the Psalm uh, this morning for Easter Sunday. Then next Sunday is the official launch of the series where we're actually going to do an overview of the book of Psalms. It's called Songs for Every Season. The idea of the book of Psalms is this. Whatever season you're going through in life, there is a psalm for you. The, the psalm book was a song book, hymns of the Old Testament, and David was not only a giant slayer, but he was also a songwriter and a singer and an artist. So uh, most of the psalms were written by David, and we have songs because David was highly emotional and he was very honest with God. We have songs that express your heart to God. Sometimes if you, if you feel like you just don't know how to talk to God about what you're going through in life, that's what the psalms are for. And today we're going to see that even God had a psalm. Psalm 22 is the embodiment of the Lord Jesus Christ and his heart and his voice on the cross and then at the tomb. I like songs. I was a musician. I played the alto saxophone in marching band in high school. And I also learned the drums. I was the drummer in a heavy metal band. So I'm a big fan of music. Do you want to see uh, pictures of me as a heavy metal drummer? Check it out. We've got pictures when I was in my heavy metal band. I'm back there on the drums. My band's name was Wax Illusions. <laughs> Figure out what it means. Here's another picture. We were, we'd, you know, go around, but we never got anywhere. But it was kind of fun. We wrote songs. We performed those songs. David wrote songs, and he put them uh, in the Old Testament and so these songs express faith. And I can imagine David after he wrote Psalm 22 telling his buddies, I just wrote a new one. Really? What's it called? All right, here's the title. You ready? Uh-huh. My God. Huh. My God. Uh-huh. Why have you forsaken me? Huh? The title is what? My God. I like that. My God, say it twice. Why have you forsaken me? That's a bummer of a song title. You're going to sing about that? Is that even allowed? What a song this is, Psalm 22. And yet we meet the Messiah in Psalm 22. Christ is discovered in the sad songs about when life is harder than you expected, when hope seems lost. That's where we find Jesus in the Old Testament. The Word of God and the Son of God meet us in our suffering and confusion in Psalm 22. Let's pray, and then we will spend Easter in the Old Testament. Lord Jesus, thank you for your great love for us. We commemorated your sacrifice on the cross on Friday. Today, we rejoice because you are alive. Right now, you're ruling and reigning. Speak through your Word. Show us what David wrote in the Psalms. Help us to see what the tomb is all about. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, in Psalm 22, uh, verse 21, what's happened so far in Psalm 22 is 
and execution. There is a righteous man put to death in the psalm, crying out, God, why have you forsaken me? And David wrote this in the first person, but we know it's not about him, because even though he experienced a lot in life, even feeling like he was on death's door, the details, the specifics do not line up with anything that happened in David's life. So we know he's talking about somebody else. And in the New Testament, it says that David was a prophet who spoke of the Lord, who was his descendant. So David is talking about, about Jesus, about the Messiah who would suffer and apparently die an agonizing death. But then what happens? Then what happens? Look at verse 21. It says, Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. In other words, I'm so in danger, I feel like I'm surrounded by wild beasts. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. What's happening here is this person who was put to death, who was in the dust of death, God heard him. God answered him. Though he was surrounded by powerful rulers and helpless, God came through. This looks ahead to the tomb, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And listen to how people are reacting. It says, glorify him, verse 23. Praise him. Stand in awe of him. Because God has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. So the first thing you can write down if you're a note taker in your bulletins is this. The first question is, are you amazed? Are you amazed? The person in the psalm is calling the congregation to praise God with him and be amazed because he's alive. Praise God. I was dead. I was surrounded. I had no hope. But guess what? God heard me. He answered me. I'm alive. And he's calling for praise to us. Are you amazed? Are you amazed that God saved Jesus from the mouths of the lion and rescued him from the horns of the wild oxen, that he raised him up from the dust of death? This idea in Psalm 22 of just how perilous the situation was for this messianic figure. It says in verse 12, strong bulls surround me. Verse 13, roaring lions. Verse 16, dogs are around me. Here's a picture of wild animals, right? It's like you're at the zoo and all the animals are out. And they're hungry. Imagine being surrounded by these animals. This is what the psalmist said it felt like to be him. Now how on earth can the promised Messiah, the deliverer, how can this mighty ruler whose throne is going to last forever be so helpless and powerless? Well, it's because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave him up to die. That's why in the Old Testament, Psalm 22, this Messiah was surrounded and and hopelessly uh, put to death. Wow. So are you amazed that after such peril, the uh, writer of Hebrews applies this to the risen Lord? I will tell the brothers of your name. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. In other words, I'm alive and I'm going to tell everybody about it. I've said before that Easter was actually a lot more like Halloween than it was like Easter. There were no pastel-colored Easter eggs out. 
hunting for candy and playing with bunnies. Jesus kept showing up and scaring the dickens out of people. I'm alive. Ah! I'm alive. Ah! No one believed it. If you really want to celebrate Easter according to the Bible, just keep scaring people all day long. Like fake your death on Friday and then jump out at them on Sunday. Happy Easter. That's what it was. They were amazed. In other words, he shouldn't have made it through this. Well, what are we amazed by? Well, jot this down. Are you amazed by the prophecies? Are you amazed by the prophecies? Uh, Psalm 22 was written, listen, a thousand years before Christ. A thousand years. Let's review some of the prophecies in this psalm that were fulfilled in the death of Christ. Go ahead and put those up there. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's kind of an easy one. Jesus would have known this song, but these were his words on the cross. And he had to actually get to that point in life, though, where he looked and felt forsaken by God. Here's the next one. It said, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. In other words, people are watching this execution. And this is what the people said while Jesus was dying. Well, let God deliver him, right? The words of the enemies of Christ were captured in this psalm. Here's the next one. It says this, On you was I cast from my birth, from my mother's womb you've been my God. Meaning this was not a, a sinful person. This was a person who God's favor was on from the very beginning. And we know the angels sang at Christ's birth. There was nothing wrong with him to merit such terrible treatment. Here's the next one. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax and it's melted within my breast. I'm poured out, literally blood and water poured out from Christ's body on the cross and the crucifixion process could have very easily led to bones being out of joint either by hanging there or by even getting him up there. Here's the next one. And it says, dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They've pierced my hands and feet. My goodness, how accurate can you get? I can count all my bones, meaning like they're sticking out. He's so emaciated and dehydrated and, and, and exposed. They stare and gloat over me. This is public. And then they divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. The soldiers gambled for Christ's clothing at the cross. All this was written a thousand years before it happened. All right, homework assignment class. I used to be a teacher. All right, number your paper. Here's a homework assignment. I, I want you to uh, write about someone who is going to die in the year 3021, and I want you to write specifics about how he's going to die. All right, 3021. And I don't mean like, ah, uh, his heart stopped. I mean specifics. What are other people doing and saying around him? What do they do with his clothes? Do you see how impossible this was for David to write this a thousand years before it happened. Listen, listen, are you amazed? Boy, if this doesn't amaze you, what would it take? This is pretty amazing. Prophecy is amazing. This is one of the reasons why we trust the Word of God. And the biggest prophecy in the Old Testament elsewhere is that death itself would be defeated. And that's what's going on here. In Psalm 16, 10 to 11, it says this, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now this is applied to Christ by Peter in his sermon in the New Testament. 
he says, how could this be about David? David died, and we know where his tomb is. How could he say, you will not abandon my soul to the grave or let your Holy One see corruption? This isn't about David. This is about the Messiah coming from David. God didn't let Christ's body decay. He rose him. He raised him up. And so what is true about Jesus here is that God brought him to the path of life into the very holy presence of the Father where there's joy and pleasure forevermore. That is how Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. He didn't just go to heaven. He went to get it ready for you and me. And he's the only one who can do it. He was raised to new life. The Psalms talked about this. Hey, do you know that you have a promise of entering God's presence? And do you trust that only Jesus can walk you through the path to eternal life? No other guide can take you there. No one else can lead you there or promise that you have a place for you there. Jesus can, and the prophecies are clear in the Old Testament. So are you amazed by the prophecies about Jesus opening a way so that we can experience pleasure forevermore at the right hand of the Father? Now jot this down. Are you amazed by the person? Of course, everyone would be amazed at like going to heaven, right? Like, yeah, I want to go to heaven. I would love to go to heaven. Hey, the best part about heaven is Jesus. Are you amazed by the person that we hear about here in the Old Testament? Who is this person? Well, in another Psalm, Psalm 89, 26 to 29, listen to what it says. It says of this divine Messiah, he shall cry to me, you are my father. Now, it was a big no-no to call God your father. In fact, in the New Testament, when Jesus said, I and the father are one, they picked up stones and they're like, you're going to die today. Well, why? For blasphemy, Listen, because you, a mere man, make yourself equal to God. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, the rock of my salvation. I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. People get confused on the word firstborn. Well, was he a created being? I thought he was God. Firstborn means rank. The firstborn got the greater share of the inheritance. It's not about God making Jesus as if he didn't exist at one point. It's about him being the highest ranking person ever to live. Made him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever. And my covenant, that's an abiding promise, will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring, those are his followers, his descendants, forever and his throne as long as, as the days of heaven. Wow, this person's getting a throne forever. This person's followers are going to be set for not just life, for eternity. This is the highest person who's ever lived. Who are the greatest people in our day today? Who are, who are the greats? Who are the, who are the great? LeBron. Who are the great? Bill Gates. Who, who would be the greatest people of our day if you had to kind of make a list? Right? Beyonce, uh, Elon Musk. Like, who are the, the people who everybody's talking about? The people who are pioneers, the people who are rich, the people who are famous, right? Um, they're not going to be anybody in the next life. Nobody's. They don't get a throne, and they don't get a kingdom. Jesus does, and he's willing to share with anyone who follows him. 
I like what Greg Laurie tweeted. We'll put that up here. Greg Laurie, famous evangelist. He said this, historian Daniel J. Borston pointed out, celebrities are people who make news. Heroes are people who make history. Time makes heroes, but dissolves celebrities. That's awesome. Time dissolves celebrities. They gone. They gone. But Jesus will rule forever. Are you amazed by the person spoken of in this psalm, there's no one greater. Are you amazed? Hey, are you amazed by the prophecies? Are you amazed by the person? It, this psalm is filled with people who are amazed by what they're hearing and who they're hearing it from. Are you in that group? Are you amazed? All right, some people were amazed, but jot this down, number two. Are you convinced? People were amazed, and then they were convinced about something. So are you in the group, in this psalm, after this poor person who was executed in a torturous death, shows up and says, God heard me and saved me and rescued me and tells this good news to everybody, are you convinced? Are you convinced that the divine king in the psalm is establishing the faith for all who hear and respond? It goes on to say this in verse 24 of Psalm 22. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him. But he has heard when he cried to him, from you comes my praise in the great congregation. So there's this great congregation and this person who was heard by God, who is in the dust of death, who's now back telling everyone that God saved him. And there's a great congregation of people praising him. They're convinced. It says, my vows I will perform before those who fear him. We'll come back to that. The afflicted, that's the meek, shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. My goodness, this becomes quite a movement very quickly. It begins with a guy, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now there's a global movement that's going. He's back. He's in a great congregation. There's people seeking him. And then suddenly, the ends of the earth are turning to the Lord and worshiping him. Wow. You know what this sounds like? It sounds like the Great Commission. It sounds like go and make disciples of all nations. This person's back. He's risen. And he's sending his followers out to the ends of the earth. This was written a thousand years before Christ? Yeah, it was. Are you convinced? Because listen, Old Testament and New, God's global plan to save the world is Jesus Christ. See, when he was up on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? He wasn't like experiencing this momentary doubt. Maybe God doesn't love me. He was signaling us to look into this psalm and see what's going on. He's fulfilling it. So jot this down. Are you convinced of your problem? Are you convinced of your problem? It says here that you need to turn to the Lord. It says here you need to seek Him. Do you believe that? We have to turn to the Lord because we have turned away from Him. We have to seek Him because we are lost. A lot of people disagree on their starting point with God. The Bible says we're lost, but a lot of people live their whole lives thinking that no, God and I are really good. God's been my God. I've been a Christian my whole life. It's actually not possible. 
Even if you've been in church your whole life, the Bible was supposed to alert you, alert, alert, alert. You need God's Son. You need God's Son. And so were you alerted to your problem? Sin turned you away from God. And the wages of sin is death. So you have to seek Him. You have to find Him. You have to turn away from sin. It's repentance. To the risen Christ. Have you done that? That's what's happening in this psalm. So it's happening all around the world in this psalm. Turn to God. You see, we are afraid of the wrong things. We think we're all right with God. I'm good with God. And then we're afraid of a lot of other things. How am I going to pay the bills? Gas prices are going up. Is my job secure? My children are driving me crazy. We're afraid, we're afraid, we're afraid. We worry, we worry, we worry about the wrong things. We don't worry about being in a wrong relationship with God, dying and going on to the next life and not being ready. I'm kind of a Simpsons fan. I watch The Simpsons a bunch, right? And so there's one part of The Simpsons, one episode where uh, Homer was just walking some windy street and then a sign opened up and it freaked him out. Uh, and check it out. So the first sign, it said this. It said, die! And he's like, ah! And then the wind blew and he actually, the sign said, die! And he screamed louder, no! And then he ran away. And here's why this is funny. Because we're afraid of the wrong things, right? We're gonna die. Oh, Yeah! But we're really not afraid of what that means. Of, of, that before you put your head on your pillow tonight, you could be standing in the council chambers above, giving an account for your life. Are you ready for that? Have you turned to God? There was a surfer who was surfing in some remote part of either Australia or New Zealand, and he hurt himself bad, got all rough and tumbled up, body wasn't working right, couldn't go far, uh, was afraid because he didn't know how he could actually get himself back to safety. He used the remainder of his strength to drag himself along the beach, and he wrote a word in the sand, and uh, he wrote the word help. And when he got done with that, the pain was so ag- he just passed out. He just passed out. And somebody who was walking by saw, saw this and was able to call to help him. And this is, this is what every person needs to do at some point in their life. They need to admit that they need help from heaven. That your righteousness is not good enough in God's sight. You're not a pretty good person. You're a pretty lost person. God won't grade you on the curve. Well, I know a lot of wicked people out there, and I'm not like them. Our sins will condemn us. Do you recognize your problem, and are you convinced of it? And then jot this down. Are you convinced of God's solution? That God had to send down a Savior, a divine being, to come and rescue you, to turn you back to God? Are you convinced of the solution? So... I almost read past this verse in Psalm 22, but it says, it says, um, I said we would come back to it, but it says it, verse 24, 25, my vows I will perform before those who fear him. Now, what does that mean? I almost just thought, well, back then they would make offerings, they would say vows, they'd go to the temple. So this person's back, he's grateful to God. And so he just went, went to the temple. Right? But David and the Psalms were actually written when the uh, tabernacle was, was built. And so I was, I, was, I was reading up, 
in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and I found something really interesting. When someone would make a vow or perhaps give a sin offering, they're asking God to do something for them, to forgive them, or they make a vow and they ask God to do something special for them. Now, once the vow is complete, once the sin has been forgiven, whatever the reason, there were some stipulations about that offering. And usually the offering was you'd bring an animal sacrifice and the temple, the tabernacle also served as a bit of a restaurant. They would cook the meat and they would eat it together. They'd have bread, they'd have, you know. So, so but here's the thing with this vow offering, you could offer it and it was good for a few days. So you could, as part of a festival, you can invite other people to celebrate God had done something for you or you, you, know, you had committed yourself to God in a special way, but by the third day, it was no longer good. Now here's what's fascinating about this. Jesus offered himself as the sacrifice on Friday. He was the Lamb of God, slain for our sins. He was the offering. He made a spectacular vow, right? Not my will, but yours be done. He dedicated himself wholly to the work of the Lord, and he was the sin offering. So on the third day, when he rose again, all of this talk here now is, is there's this offering that has been given, and he's sharing it with the people. But here's the thing. It almost according to the Old Testament, it already expired, right? But because of the nature of the offering, it's still good. It says here, right, that I will, um, I will make my vows, verse 25. Verse 26, the afflicted, the meek, shall eat and be satisfied. Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood. What's he offering? He's offering himself. He's offering himself, right? The offering continues to be good. Past day three and four and five and six, to who? To those who seek him, they shall praise him. Their hearts shall live forever. Who is this offering good for? Who is Jesus sharing this life offering for? All the ends of the earth are now turning to the Lord. All the families of the nations are worshiping. Verse 28, for kingship belongs to the Lord, for he rules over the nations. Verse 29, all the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Now everybody, rich and poor, throughout the whole world are enjoying the benefits of this offering. It never ends. It's the perfect offering. I'm really glad I did a little research on that verse because it's really awesome. And yet again, it's another prophecy fulfilled in a way that David could not have completely understood. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. This Messiah had a spectacular offering. What this means is that Jesus is the solution to the problem. He is the Lamb of God offered. He's the only one by his body which was broken and his blood which was shed who can give you life forever. In Psalm 68, 18 to 20, it says this, You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Selah. Our God is a God of salvation, and to God the Lord belong deliverances from death. Again, this is a psalm written long before this happened. God delivers from death, and this, this person who ascended on high with a host of captives is Jesus. He was risen from the grave, then he ascended on high, and he's bringing God's people with him. This is prophecy. This is amazing that it was spoken of in the Old Testament. Hey, listen, God's plan to bring you to heaven is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you think you're going to walk up to the gates of heaven and be like, I'm ready for my inspection, I've been a pretty good person, you're not getting in. But if you're following Jesus, he's the one who leads captives, people who he's won. He's the one who leads us to heaven. He's the only one who can get us in. 
So are you amazed by the prophecies and by the person spoken of? Are you convinced of your problem and of God's solution? Are you convinced? And number three, are you ready? Because people in this psalm are ready to take the world by storm. Are you ready? Are you ready? This psalm demands a response. Frequently when Jesus would teach, after he'd get done teaching, he would say, do you believe this? In other words, you can't just be like, he's so nice, so gentle. I love the way he hollers at the leaders. Don't you love him too? That he's like, do you believe this? And it's like, huh, me? I actually have to do something with the information I just processed? Do you believe this? You see, in the world today, you're told that you don't need to believe this. In fact, it's right now popular for people to believe and declare that Christian values are standing in the way of people being happy and fully human today. And that's false. Jesus came that we might have life to the full. Are you ready to follow him? Again, it says in Psalm 22, 28, kingship belongs to the Lord. Listen, friends, Jesus Christ is the rightful ruler of your life. I don't know when it was, when you saw the chair, CEO, director, and you sat down in it, but that's not your chair. Kingship belongs to the Lord. We were created to serve Christ. And he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. Wow. The Bible says in the New Testament, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. All are getting there. Even the one who could not keep himself alive, if you don't want to. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. So now everybody's who's, who's in that generation is dead. There's new generations coming. They, they're told about it. And they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. I love the way this psalm ends. It begins with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it ends with, it is finished. Psalm 22. It's unbelievable. So are you ready to crown Jesus Christ the one who was spoken of a thousand years before he lived, the one who fulfilled this prophecy and is the greatest of all the kings of the earth, the only one who can lead you to heaven, the only one who can give an offering to satisfy your sins, who can give you life through his body and through his blood. Are you ready to follow him with all of your heart? Are you ready? Jot this down. According to this psalm, we have to turn. Are you ready to turn and worship the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you ready to turn I hold a record for doing the most U-turns, I believe, in this room. Maybe you'd like to challenge me, but I have, I get it from my father. He was a U-turn champion, and I'm never afraid, never afraid to make a U-turn. And when we took a trip all the way to the western coast several years ago, uh, you know, all the way out, we went all the way out to California, I made many a U-turns, as needed, as needed. I don't wait. I just do them. You turn, right? Here we go again. Here we go again. Bad's lost. We don't know where we're going. Made a wrong turn. 
But I, I ran into a problem when we were in San Francisco. And uh, if you've been to the Bay Area, there's a lot of bridges, right? A lot of bridges. And they are long bridges. I got on the wrong bridge, all right? Wrong bridge. When you get on the wrong bridge, you see the right bridge. Oh, that, oh that's, that's the bridge. This isn't the bridge. That's the bridge. Ah, no U-turns on the bridge. <laughs> you are not turning around. You're just going and going and going and going, and you get to where everything, you got to get another bridge, get back to the, then you get on the right, but you can't turn around. Hey, look, there's coming a point in your life where you can't turn around anymore. It's done. Where, where you will have been given your last chance to turn to the Lord. And then it's permanent. Then you go off, and you can't turn around. You can't. In the next life, it's impossible. It's done. Are you ready to turn and worship the Lord? Verse 27 again. What did it say? All the ends of the earth shall turn to the Lord. Have you turned to the Lord? This is called conversion. It happens at a moment in your life. You have to have a story of when you turn to the Lord. If you're just like, oh, well, I took a class. No. I, I think I prayed something. No. When did you turn to the Lord? I mean, it could happen when you're four. It could happen when you're 40, 94. But you have to have a story when you turn from sin to the Lord. Are you a person who has turned to the Lord Jesus? In Psalm 2, 6 to 12, it again talks about this, this ruler. As for me, it says, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned. O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Psalm 2 was talking about this king, the only king who you can take refuge in and be saved from the wrath of God. The ends of the earth are his. This country is his. Your life is his. And it says here, be wise and be warned. Hey, have you been wise and turned to him? If not, be warned, be warned. Because the king is the son of God. It's amazing how the Old Testament talked about this so clearly. Are you ready to turn and worship the Lord Jesus? Jot this down. Are you ready to trust God with all your burdens? See, usually there's something holding people back. And if you've never given your life completely to Christ, what's holding you back? If you had to list it, sometimes people have questions that they never got answers to, but they're not really asking. Is it a question? Sometimes they have pain in their past that never got resolved. Sometimes they have family members or friends and they're afraid of what those people will think of them if they become one of those people. Sometimes it's just the busyness of life. Don't have time. So busy. So apathetic. So distracted. What is your reason for never having turned to the Lord and given your life to Christ? A lot of times people have burdens they're carrying and they're carrying them alone. Those are the very things God wants to use to show you how much you need him. 
well, if God's so good, then why did this happen to me? And, and why is this happening? Those are the very things God wants you to pick up and to bring in his presence. Burdens were never meant to get you stuck spiritually. They were meant to actually get you going toward God. The Suez Canal was blocked for a week. Perhaps you saw pictures. Here's some pictures of the uh, ship that blocked the Suez Canal. Dust, storm, wind, and boom! And it, it just blocked the whole canal and, and couldn't get anywhere. Here's another picture. They had to start trying to get this thing out of there. It, it carried 18,000 containers, and it was stuck for a week. It took 400 boats, or 400 boats were delayed in the time it took to get this thing free. It's 1,300 feet long. It weighs 220,000 tons. 220,000 tons. Uh, it's stuck. It's stuck. And it's got a lot of baggage, a lot of burdens. The cost of this blockage was $1 billion just to get it out, just to get it out and to fix the repair, not even the, the delay, a billion-dollar problem. And um, go back to the first picture, and maybe you feel like this has been you spiritually. You just haven't gone anywhere with God. And it's largely because of the burdens you're carrying. Hey, I got to tell you, this is what the book of Psalms is all about. Jesus identifies with your pain. He went through agony. He went through excruciating pain to show you this is how God's trying to reach you. Whatever it is that you've been carrying, whatever it is that has made you not ready to follow Christ, I would just invite you to turn to God and to say, help, help, I'm carrying this all alone. I can't get myself free from all of this. God has a plan for your pain. 68 verses 18 to 20 again. It says, blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. That's what God wants to be to you. He wants to bear you up every day. Are you ready to turn and worship the Lord Jesus? Are you ready to trust God with all your burdens and talk to him about your pain? And jot this down. Are you ready to spend eternity in God's presence? Forever. Forever. When I ask people, hey, are you going to heaven? They usually say, they almost always say yes. When I say why, if you were standing before the pearly gates and you had to give your speech, and you'll have to give a speech, what would you say? And usually they say, well, I'm a pretty good person. The Bible, though, disagrees with that. Jesus said there is only one who is good. It's him. So good people don't go to heaven. Sometimes people say, well, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm Christian, I'm, I'm Catholic, I'm Presbyterian, you know, I'm, so I'm churched, I'm religious. But um, the Bible says that all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. So religious people don't go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. Religious people don't go to heaven. The only type of person who goes to heaven is a saved person. Someone who has said, what a wretch am I? Are you a saved person? When you stand in front of those pearly gates and they say, why should we let you in? Because I'm a saved person. Jesus saved me from all of my sins. Is that what you're going to say? Are you ready to spend eternity in God's presence? This psalm ends with an eternal party. Wow! And I want to be there. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of nations shall worship before you. I want to be there. For he has done it. Hey, I'm going. Are you going? I don't want to miss it. 
And it's all through Jesus who said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is enthroned right now. He rose from the grave. He ascended to the right hand of the Father on high. All authority in heaven and on earth is his. Friends, the day is coming. The day is coming. The day is coming soon, sooner than you think. The day is circled on the calendar in God's book. You will bow before Christ. You will confess who he is. The only thing you get to determine is how long you're going to delay and the consequences of that. That's it. But if you bow now, if you call out for salvation, you will arrive safely in the presence of God as a saved person, not a condemned sinner. And that's where you will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the Father's happiness. I want to give you a chance to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior right now. I want to give you a chance to respond, to be amazed, to be convinced, and to be ready today because of what you've heard. Let's go to the Lord and pray together right now. Lord Jesus, how amazing this psalm is. A thousand years before you walked the earth, we hear of a suffering Savior who died to bring all the nations of the earth to God's heavenly presence. A king who would lead captives above. That's us. I pray, Lord, for any who are here today online or in person, and they're convinced now that they need a Savior. They're amazed at what they heard. They're, they're ready. They're ready. They weren't ready, but now they are. Or they thought they were ready, but now they realize they're not. And they realize they have to get ready. Lord, however you are prompting hearts to respond to this amazing psalm today, I just want to give people a chance to pray with me in their own heart or maybe even praying out quietly where they sit. And here's the prayer. You can say this in your own heart. You can say, Father, I'm amazed by the prophecy. I'm amazed by the person, your son. Say that in your heart. Say, Father, I'm convinced of my problem that I can't solve, my sin. I'm convinced of your solution, the Savior. I'm convinced. And say this, I'm ready. I'm ready to turn to you to give up everything in my life that dishonors you. All of it. And I'm ready. I'm ready to spend eternity in your presence. Because he has done it. It is by grace that I am saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not by works. I'm ready. If you prayed that today, I want you to know that Jesus says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. He's preparing a place for you in paradise right now. He's the risen Lord. He forgives your sins, all of them. He gives you eternal life forever. And he calls you out on his great mission to go and make disciples. So you get to proclaim your joy to others. Thank you, Jesus. What a Savior we have. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.